it has been uh, it has been a number of weeks since I've had the joy of standing before you and and speaking. We have had due to the Korea trip. Uh, I've been out of the pulpit for two weeks, and so I'm really glad to be back. We can continue our series in John, which seems to be going rather slowly, but it's not. Um, I, I do appreciate the... John is 21 chapters, and you could think, well, we could just do it in 21 Sundays. No, there, I just I don't do well with big chunks because I, I really like to focus in a little bit more narrowly. Um, but this morning, actually... Um, as we have been working our way through John's gospel since late January, um, this is not a bite-sized section. Um, this chapter 5 is where we are working this morning, and we're going to be looking at this entire chapter because this entire chapter is one story. And so it, it actually, chapter 5 begins a, a, new, a new section. It's a, actually, chapters 5 through 7 record a shift in the Jews' attitude towards Jesus from one of irritation, which we saw in chapters 2, 3, and 4, to one of severe opposition, one that literally begins the road to Calvary. Chapter 1 gave us the prologue and the beginning and explanation of who Jesus is. Chapter 2 through 4 shows us the ministry and the signs that Jesus is beginning, the signs he uses to announce and demonstrate that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. And at the very foundation of John's gospel is a verse that we have repeatedly looked to. It's the verse that stands as the backdrop of every page in John, of every story, event in John, of every discourse by Jesus in John. This one verse stands as the backdrop so that when we are studying, whether it's chapter 2 or 5 or 18 or 21, this verse stands behind. And it is verse... 20, chapter 20, verse 30, 31, fleshed out for us. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Now, let me encourage you this morning to consider this when reading John 20, 31, as, 20, 30, 31, as we just did. It might be easy to think that it only applies to unbelievers, to those who don't know Christ, who have yet to put their faith in Christ. If you think that way, I think you'll be making a significant mistake regarding that verse. And I think you'll make... I think you'll lose the power of what that verse is trying to communicate. Scripture's power is that it is alive and it is sufficient for us and meaningful for those of us who believe. These words exist now to encourage you to grow in your faith, your trust, your belief in Christ, not just for your salvation, but for your sanctification, for your daily living, for hope and for peace and for the blessings that come with knowing Christ. And for one day, that day where you will stand before Christ, that day of glorification. This passage is not just about coming to faith in Christ. It is about living in faith with Christ. 
this story this morning has application as every story does. It has application for the unbeliever and the Christian. This story in John 5 is written to help you know and to trust Christ even more than you already do right now. So, we will read this entire chapter. So, read along with me if you've brought your Bible. John chapter 5. After this, there was a feast of the Jews. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is this man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing may worse happen, nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will, show, will he show him so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. 
For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son also to have life in Himself. And He has given Him authority to execute judgment because He is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrected life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not deemed true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. And you do not have His word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom He has sent. Oh, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. No, there is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how? Will you believe my words? Father, oh, we desire to believe your words this morning. Lord, we desire not only to believe your words, we desire to hear and to understand and to discern your words. Lord, help each person here. Help their ears to hear. May their hearts discern. May their faith be encouraged. May they be refreshed. Lord, may your word give life this morning. Lord, may everyone here who listens to these words and listens to this passage spoken of, may they draw closer to you. And Lord, may you please help me serve your church May you help me bless your church this morning. Help me to speak well, Lord. Help me to pastor this church that I love. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, signs in John are significant. It's what we read about in John 20, 31 
that these signs, John wrote about these signs so that we might believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing we might find life in his name. Signs are significant, and this sign in this passage announces the arrival with, of Jesus with a claim that Jesus is equal to God. The response to this sign is anything but faith-filled and joy-filled. In chapters 2 through 4, when Jesus performs signs, the response is faith. His disciples believe in him at the wedding as he turns water into wine. The nobleman in chapter 4 believes in him and his whole family comes to faith in Christ as his son is healed and brought back to life. And here in chapter 5, the healing of the man at the pool does not engender faith but instead it engenders opposition. Chapter 5 is where the road to Calvary really begins and is much more evident as a significant conflict erupts with these Jews who are Pharisees simply because Jesus has compassionately healed a man on the Sabbath. Now, understanding the Sabbath, the, the Sabbath that the Jews so religiously adhered to was, esta- was established. The Sabbath was established in the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy chapter 5. Let me read that to you because it's important to understand how they viewed the Sabbath. Deuteronomy 5 verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or even the sojourner who is within your gates that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Sabbath rest was meant to celebrate God's deliverance from Egypt. Not surprisingly, though, the Pharisees weren't satisfied with just what is written in the Ten Commandments. In fact, what they did is created their own Sabbath traditions and requirements. The the Pharisees added 39 more requirements to the Sabbath that, that are not in the Ten Commandments. 39 requirements that they made others keep. And some of them were so obscure as to be even weird. So one of those 39 requirements would be that you may not eat vinegar on the Sabbath. You can have it in your food, but you may not use vinegar to clean your teeth on the Sabbath. What an amazing requirement. One that I'm sure we all want to live by. 
Now, these Pharisees had some strange requirements, and, and they would want others, and they made others adhere to their Sabbath. And so rather than rejoicing at this man's healing on the Sabbath, they were angry that he, Jesus, disobeyed their man-made traditions, and that this healed man disobeyed their man-made traditions by carrying his bed after he was healed. Quickly, though, Jesus' conflict with the Jews becomes even greater than the issue of healing on the Sabbath. Because as you, as you read in verse 16, and this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath, they quickly move from persecuting Jesus to verse 18, This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. He declares that this, his healing of the layman that he is doing is because he is doing the very work that his father was already doing. That God is already working on the Sabbath. Now, to some degree, the Jews understood that God had to continue working on the Sabbath. Because if God totally rested, if God was idle, who would be sustaining the world? God is always working on the Sabbath. And what the Jews don't get is that When God rests, it is because he is God that he can rest and at the same time sustain the world. That God is not idle. And that his rest is not idleness. And they don't see from a human perspective. And they don't get who God is. Jesus redefines Sabbath for them. God rested on the seventh day. Who who would sustain this world? Well, God sustains this world because God is working. And oh, by the way, not only is God working on the Sabbath, I am working on the Sabbath now. And that statement declares that if God, who is working and sustaining the world on the Sabbath, it is now me who is working because I am equal with God. Now, he doesn't say those words, but the Jews are not dumb. They get it. And they are incensed. They seek to kill him. He makes this incredible, radical claim. He is just simply engaged in his father's work. Jesus identifies himself as equal with God the Father. And by declaring he does the same work, he even goes on further to declare specifically what that work looks like. Look at verse 21. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. Jesus claims right here to raise the dead. He claims to be the giver of life. But not only that, he goes a step further in verse 22. He says, the father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son. (laughs) Now Jesus is claiming he is the judge 
of all mankind. It is this discourse that helps us to understand not only what this passage is about, but more importantly, who Jesus is in John's gospel. And that's what chapter 5 is all about. It is John's real introduction to who Jesus is. Jesus is the one who saves the lost and serves his church so that all who believe in him might glorify his name, receive eternal life, and escape the judgment to come. Jesus is the one in John chapter 5, is the one who saves the lost, who serves his church, that all who believe in him, all might glorify his name, receive eternal life, and escape the judgment to come. So, three main points this morning. Who is Jesus in John? Who is Jesus in John? And just for Chris Mays' sake, who always tells me, Larry, you never tell me the title of your message. It is the work of God the Father and Jesus' Son. That's the title of the message. Good title. Very helpful. All right, main points. Number one, who is Jesus? He is the one who has authority over all things, sin, sickness, nature, and death. He has authority over all things, sin, sickness, nature, and death. Secondly, he is the one who has been divinely commissioned to save mankind. He is the one who has been divinely commissioned to save mankind. And thirdly, he is the Messiah who saves us from judgment to an eternal rest. He is the Messiah who saves us from judgment to an eternal rest. The first one, Jesus has authority over all things, sin, sickness, nature, and death. Because of this authority, he is the one who restores us from the ravaging effects of sin. He restores us. Jesus heals a man in chapter 5 who has been ravaged by the effects of sin for 38 years. Verse 5, one man was there by this pool. And by the way, this pool that we read about, um, it, in, in some later versions, in some other versions, there is there's a, a section where it talks about um, the angels would come down and stir the water. You might have that in your version. That is not in the earliest manuscripts. And, and, and many and most orthodox conservative commentators simply believe that's urban myth. Okay, it's urban legend that the angel would come down and stir the water and that people would get into the water and be healed. But it's, it's the only thing these folks have to hope for. And so it's interesting that that water plays another role here. But Jesus does something different. And he comes to this man. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew. Now how Jesus knew. How did Jesus know that he had been there a long time? Well, I mean, Jesus... I mean, remember in chapter 2, verse 25, it says, Jesus knew 
all men. Jesus knew the woman at the well had had more than one husband. Jesus is the sovereign one, and he knows. And he knew this man, that he had already been there a long time. And he says to him, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? Jesus Jesus has a compassion here. And the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. Now, interestingly, Jesus heals a man who expresses no interest in him. This man isn't asking Jesus to heal him. This man is just explaining why he's not healed. I can't get into the pool. And it's the pool that will heal me. This man is, who is healed, he's not like others who responded in faith. In fact, this man happens to be not a very nice guy. Leon Morris in his commentary, I love what he says, he, said, he, isn't, he isn't a most unpleasant creature this man. He doesn't come to faith in Christ. He doesn't even know who Jesus is, and he doesn't seem to care. And when he is pressed by the Jews for carrying his bed on the Sabbath, what does he do? He blames somebody else. They asked him, who is this man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? And now the man who had been healed did not even know who it was. Now, yeah, Jesus had withdrawn, but Jesus had spent enough time with him to have a conversation with them. Jesus was well known in Jerusalem. Much had taken place during the Passovers. Jesus was among, in fact, earlier in John 3, we read about Jesus healing many of the sick in Jerusalem. And here he is by this pool filled with invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. And this man knows nothing about him. He is an unpleasant creature. And when pressed For who he is, he just says, I don't know. And even worse, a little while later, when Jesus goes and finds him in the temple, afterward, verse 14, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing nothing worse may happen to you. This man goes away and tells the Jews, Oh, I know who it is now. It's Jesus. He's really after saving his own skin. This man is most unpleasant. How amazing it is that Jesus had compassion on this man who had suffered for so long, and yet he would not respond in faith. His compassion, Jesus' compassion extends so far that he even finds this man again. He finds this man. He heals this man. Now, look, there are, this is, this is John's accounting. And in these lay a multitude of invalids. Chapter, verse 3. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind and lame and paralyzed. And all John records is one man being healed. One man who shows no gratefulness. One man who blames Jesus. One man who betrays Jesus to the authority. Jesus heals this one man. And not only does he heal him, but his compassion and his love for the lost, for the sinner, is so great he goes back to this man and says to him, see, you are well. 
In other words, your healing is complete. And I think it is a reference to this pool, which actually was an urban myth, which really did not heal. And it made you feel better. You got wet. You got maybe it was a warm pool like a jacuzzi and the man was having a good time. But Jesus says, look, you are well. See, sin no more. Sin no more. Stop sinning that nothing worse may happen to you. What is he saying there? What Jesus is warning this man from is eternal judgment. He's saying, we're not talking about you going lame again. We're not talking about you getting sicker again because of sin. We're talking about eternal judgment. What could be worse than the ravages of sin in this life? Eternal judgment. Jesus has authority over sin and sickness, nature and death. And in this one section, this one point where he heals this man, we see he has he has authority over sickness. We see he has authority over sin. And we see he has authority over death. Regardless of this man's response, Jesus proves his divinity simply by healing this man with a word. Get up. Get up. This is a sign that John records to point to who Jesus is. That he is the one who has authority over sin, sickness, death. Secondly, he is the one, Jesus is the one who is divinely commissioned to save mankind. Jesus is the one who rescues us from the slavery of sin and the judgment of God. Look, verse 19 through 30 he says, I truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing on his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing for whatever the father does, the son does likewise for the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing and greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel for as the father raises the dead and gives them life. So also the son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has been given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. And whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent them. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. He has divinely been commissioned to save mankind, and he does it because he is in perfect unity with his Father to do the works of his Father. Now, I have raised, I've had the privilege of having two daughters who are married now, but when you have two daughters who live at home, there are certain TV shows and movies that appear on your television set that a man would never watch. And when we had our two girls living at home and they were college age, 
we also had two other college girls living with us. And so there were certain times where I was banished from the television set. Banished not because they kicked me out of the room, but because I banished myself due to what they were watching, which often throughout the summer was this show called So You Think You Can Dance. And there is... there. There is no guy who wants to watch so you think you can dance. I don't care if I can dance. I don't care if they can dance. And, and watching... And so you, I, I'm, I try to avoid that area of the house as much as possible. But in Charlotte, it was right next to the kitchen. So one day I inadvertently had to get ice cream. And, <laughs> and so what do you think is on? So you think you can dance. And the thing about that is... TV has, like, a, it, it, it's a drug. It can draw you in. And so I'm scooping my ice cream, and there's this music playing. And I like music, and I look up in it, so you think you can dance. And I just, I'm mem- mesmerized for a moment. I am watching as this couple dance in perfect unison. It was amazing to me. They could dance. And then I got my ice cream and left because I did not watch anybody else dance. But, but for a moment, there was this couple that in perfect unity, perfect timing, every move they made, every step they took was perfect. And it was amazing to see. The Father and the Son are in perfect unity. Always, not just for a moment, not just while the music goes, but always. And it is that perfect unity that the Father leads the Son. The the Son sees what the Father is doing, the works that He does. And the Father entrust Jesus to do those works. And those works are the things that only God can do, which is give life and judge for sin. And so it is why he has sent his son. He is the divinely commissioned one, the only one who can save from sin. And the work that he does on earth in doing signs, in demonstrating the Father in perfect union with the Father, in representing the Father. If you have seen Jesus, you have seen the Father. Later in this passage, he says, and the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. And yet, looking at Jesus, they see him. And he is the one who God sent to rescue from sin, to save mankind. The work that Jesus is doing is rescuing us from sin and judgment because that is the work that the Father has always done. God has always been about redeeming his people. Even the Sabbath we just talked about is about redemption, from slavery under Egypt. He's always been a merciful, redeeming God. Jesus proves that by his perfect unity with the Father, only doing what the Father has done. 
He is the incarnation of God's mercy and God's forgiveness. He is the revelation of God's love to mankind. This is not what the Jews wanted to hear. Rather than believe him, they wanted to get rid of him. They wanted to put him to death. Whereas the Jews wanted to destroy him, John says, no, 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 I, I want to witness about him to a world that needs to be saved. And John records that there are witnesses. John the Baptist is a witness in verse 32 through 36. Jesus' signs are a witness in verse 36. And God's word is a witness in verses 37 through 40. There is this testament that Jesus is the one who saves. Verse 34, I say these things so that you may be saved. And sadly, their only response leads to judgment. And come out those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Jesus came that they might be saved, that they might find life in his name. And the same is true for us. Oh, he is the one who has authority over sin, over sickness and death. He is the one who's been divinely commissioned to save. And thirdly, he is the Messiah who saves us from a judgment to something. He doesn't just save us from a judgment. He saves us to something, to an eternal rest. The Pharisees' mistake was their trust in their version of the Sabbath. They did not see Jesus as their true Sabbath rest. There is a day when God's voice will call from the dead. There is a day Oh, I love that. There's the day God calls from the dead. Those who have put their faith in Christ will experience a, a resurrection of eternal life. Those who do not experience a resurrection of judgment. There is a day when the Father will raise from the dead. Salvation in Christ brings a Sabbath rest for God's people. That is both now and in the life to come. Kent Hughes says this in his commentary. It says, when Jesus Christ, our Sabbath rest, came, that reality did away with the need for the Old Testament Sabbath. The writer of Hebrews says in verses 4, 9 through 10, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. God has ceased from his works and so do we. God has rested in what Christ did and so do we. We have entered the Sabbath rest. Colossians 2, 16 and 17, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are shadows of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. We do not follow an Old Testament Sabbath. We do have a Sabbath day. We call it Sunday. It is our day where we celebrate. We gather together and celebrate the Lord to remind ourselves of who God is. But our ultimate rest, our Sabbath rest, is our, our relationship with Christ, our knowing Christ, our time with Christ. 
It's why we preach God's word on Sunday. It's why we worship together to, to enter into our time with the Savior. It's why you have, are encouraged to have quiet times at home, times of devotion where you spend time that you may know Christ, that you may know Him, that you may enter into His presence. You'll no longer, and, and there'll be a day when you enter into eternal rest where you will no longer need to fight the good fight of faith. You will no longer need to battle against the temptation of sin. You'll no longer grow weary in doing good. You will persevere in suffering and sickness, yes, today, but then you will not have to persevere in suffering and sickness, and you don't have to wait any more patiently for the hope of the coming of the Lord because you are with Him. And that day is coming, and that day is the ultimate promise rest for all of us who have come to faith in Christ. And it is a rest that lasts for all eternity because all that Jesus came to do, he did it perfectly. He did it perfectly. Who is Jesus in John 5? He is the one who has authority over sin and sickness and death. He is the one who has been divinely commissioned by God to save us. And he is the one who frees us from judgment to an eternal rest. But what does this mean for us? Well, let me say this. If you're not a Christian, if you're here this morning listening to these words and you are not a Christian, John has clearly told you that there is a judgment to come if you do not believe. These things have been written that you might believe. Look at the sign in this. Look at the signs that John has written about that you might believe, that you might come to faith in Christ, that you might put your hope and your trust in Christ, and that one day you might come into that eternal rest rather than eternal judgment. For the Christian, you are to be reminded that Jesus is working, is still sustaining, is the one who still has all authority in your life and over your life in whatever your experience. He has promised rest, not just in the life to come, but he's promised rest now. Do you believe his word? Even like this unpleasant man, will you respond to his word? And finally... This lame man's hope was in his circumstances, in that his circumstances would change. His hope was not in Christ. His hope was in a pool. He missed seeing the Savior because his eyes only saw the water. What do you see in the difficult circumstances that you are in or that you are facing? What do you see in your sickness, do you see the pool or do you see Christ? In your marriage struggles, do you see the pool or do you see Christ? In your financial challenges, do you see the pool or do you see Christ? In the despair that you may feel, the depression that you may struggle with, do you see the pool, the circumstances, or do you see Christ? This man only believed in a myth that stirred the water when he could have believed in the Messiah standing next to him, talking to him, healing him, 
coming after him and finding him, warning him of the judgment to come. This is a wonderful story of the compassion of Jesus Christ. Listen, Jesus is present in your circumstances. And I want you to look to him and not the pool. I want you to believe his word and his promises. Not not guaranteeing your circumstances will change. Not guaranteeing that things are going to get better. That's not what's at stake here. What's at stake here is your knowledge and love of Christ. What's at stake here is your relationship with Christ. What's at stake here is your faith in a good and gracious God who is sovereign over your life. And yes, you may have very difficult circumstances. Yes, your marriage may feel like it's crumbling. Yes, your finances may feel like you're underwater. Yes, your despair and your depression may feel like you can't even move out of bed in the morning. Yes, your sickness may be painful and long-suffering, and those things are true, and they're hard, and yet God is faithful. And yes, the Sabbath rest He promises is not a day, it is a person. And it is Him who loves you and died for you. Let us enter into that Sabbath rest. Let's pray. Father, You alone, You alone are rest. You alone are the sovereign one. You alone are the one who loves us purely and perfectly proven by your death on a cross. Lord, I pray for those who are sick, for those who are suffering, for those who are struggling in marriages, who are despairing and with struggling with depression, those who are fearful. Lord, would you at this moment through this word, show them your love for them. That you sought them out as you sought this man out by the pool. That you sought them out, continue to seek them out as he sought this man in the temple. And that your words are true. And that your promises are true. That they may feel your love. And know your power to endure. In Jesus' name, amen.